Praise God. I hope you brought a Bible tonight. And if you brought a Bible, I hope it's not, you know, like a comic strip Bible or something like that, because we're, we're the grown-ups in the, in the place. And uh, I want you to be able to turn in that Bible eventually. You know, it's the coolest thing um, when kids get their first Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you, I got nothing against comic strip Bible. When I was growing up, I had my regular, like, full-text Bible, and then I had the picture Bible. And the picture Bible was just, you know, like, all pictures with, you know, comic strip things, you know? And uh, I, I would read that for fun. Like, I would enjoy reading that. And I remember, I, probably my favorite, I read through the entire journey from Egypt to Canaan of, of, of the Israelites. I, I read that over and over again. And to this day, when I picture Moses and Joshua, I see them as it, they were drawn in that Bible. So that is such a cool thing. And I remember in children's ministry, you know, when I used to teach downstairs, uh, teach the kids, I remember, you know, you'd have this kid that would bring, his, it was his first Bible, and he couldn't read yet, but he had a Bible. And it was the coolest thing, because they're learning to bring their Bible, couldn't read it, and it was like storybook Bible. Like, it didn't have chapter and verse. So we were going to read a verse from the Bible, and, you know, you got the, the fifth and sixth graders, you know, studiously turning to it faster than everybody else, because it was always a challenge who could get there first. And there's this little, this little one that can't quite read yet, but has a storybook Bible. And it was the coolest thing, because we'd come, and basically what we'd do is we'd just say, Where, which story is closest in in the timeline to the verse we're going to read. So if we read from Ephesians, we say, let's see if we can find Paul ministering to Ephesus, you know, ministering in Ephesus. And I'm sure that storybook is so, story is somewhere. And we'd find it, and they just feel like they were reading along. So it's the coolest thing. I really enjoy it. That said, I think you all can read. So if you can all read, you should have a Bible that you can follow along in. <laughs> You've got no more excuses. They're, they've been out the window. And I, you may say, well, I don't like to read. Um, and I understand that. Not everybody likes to read. Not everybody's a reader. But uh, there's something about the Word of God. And uh, there's something about the Word of God that, that comes alive. And because it's the living Word of God, even if you don't like to read, I encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit to make it alive to you. When you do that, when you open it, even if you're not a reader, when you open your Bible... He is able to make that alive to you in such a way that it's not like any other book that you read. And you read it and it comes alive to you and it's life to you and it changes the very core of your being. It doesn't matter if you're a reader or not. You're, I'm not asking you to go and, and buy a bunch of novels. I'm not asking you to go buy a bunch of textbooks. But when you really open that word of God, if you find it boring, I've got two pieces of advice for you. First, pray before you read. Say, Lord, open up my eyes. Make this alive to me. Second, decide before you read that everything you read, you're going to apply to your life. When you do that, it becomes exciting. It becomes frightening at times, <laughs> but it becomes exciting. If you pick up your Bible saying, when I read this, I'm going to let it in some way change my life this week. When you do that, Suddenly, you're not just reading a paragraph and glossing over. All of a sudden, this is real to you because this is an instruction manual for life. And uh, I believe that's, that's something that can, can help you to grow and help you to, to uh, be the kind of man or woman of God that you need to be. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So would you open your Bibles to 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy is a special letter. They're all special in, in each way. But it's a special book of the Bible because it is really the last recorded letter that we have of the Apostle Paul. He wrote it not long before he was to leave this world. <coughs> You're going to have to edit that out. I'm sorry. He wrote that long, you know, not long before he was uh, set to be executed. There wasn't much left in his life. And you can imagine, it's written to Timothy who... Uh, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul had a lot of relationships in his life where he mentored a lot of young ministers, but none were quite like Timothy. In fact, he says that in, in the book of Philippians. He says, I've got nobody like Timothy. Timothy's like a son to me. He shares my heart. He, he, he has the same heart for you guys that I have. And so Timothy and Paul had a very special relationship um, that, that, you know, was very much like a father and a son. And as Paul's ending, coming to the end of his life, he writes this letter 
to Timothy, and he warns him about some things. Because you can imagine, if you've been holding down the fort, you've been proclaiming the, the, the message of the gospel, you've been defending the faith, that when the time comes for you to leave, you want to make sure that there's uh, men and women behind you that can hold up that standard, that, that there are those that are going to keep strong in the church. And so he writes this um, as, as his, basically his final charges, his final, his final uh, encouragements, his final warnings, his final uh, pieces of, uh, you know, awakening Timothy to certain things. And uh, so you, you read it with a different mind. You know, even, even though we say Paul wrote it, and he did, we know that the scripture is, is ultimately written by the Holy Spirit, and he uses people to do it. And so this was not just Paul's opinions, but the heart of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe that's where we'll start tonight. Now, I understand that this is a, a, a very common, well-known section of Scripture, and most of you in the room tonight will be familiar with these words. Some of you may even be able to recite it by memory. But that's, that's no reason to not read it. That's no reason to skip over it. In fact, that's even more reason. Some of the things that we need to read the most are the things we've read so many times. We need to read them with a fresh heart and fresh eyes. In 2 Timothy, uh, he begins this part of the letter by talking about the difficult times that would come. And even though the most difficult thing that you'd think would be the pressing issue is the persecution that's coming upon the church. But he doesn't talk so much about the persecution as the, the, the stuff that's sneaking into the church to deceive people. He, he really put that as the, as the biggest issue. Uh, beyond persecution, beyond all these things, uh, was the opposition to the true gospel. And, and so he warns him about these things. He warns him about false teachers, and he warns him about all these things. But then he anchors him to something. In um, chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, that's not a refrigerator verse. <laughs> not many of you have T-shirts with that verse on it. But it is a true fact. And if you're not prepared for that, you won't be prepared for life. He says anybody that desires to live godly is going to have some people that don't like them and oppose them. But get over it, move on, and realize that the Lord is with you, and if God's for you, who can be against you? Then he says this, But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. You know, I prefer letters when they say it's going to get better. <laughs> it's got nowhere to go but better from here. He goes, it'll get worse than this. Oh, good. Thanks, Paul. You're just a ray of sunshine. He says, deceiving and being deceived. And that's, a, that's an interesting little thought there, that those that are deceiving are also being deceived. Then he says this, you, however, don't you love that? You, however, says you're not one of those guys. So you, you're different. You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, from childhood, you see, Timothy, you might recognize from his name that he doesn't have a Hebrew name. Timothy is just Timotheus. It's a Greek name. His dad was a Greek. For all we know, for what we can tell, it doesn't seem like his dad was a believer, but his mother was. And I don't know whether his, and his mother and his grandmother, so his grandmother and his mother taught him about the true God, taught him about Jehovah. See, I don't know whether they were born Jews or they had converted, but either way, they taught him from the Old Testament and the sacred writings, they taught him uh, who God was. And that knowledge about God, even from the Old Testament, taught him something that led him to Jesus. That's such a cool thing. That, that he had learned about these prophecies about the Messiah. He had learned about God promising that he was going to send somebody. And then when Jesus came, he saw the, the realization, he saw the fulfillment of that. So those things that his mom taught him from a young age, that he learned from a young age, we might even, we might even assume that he, it says that he was taught by these things, it says he learned these things. Who knows? I mean, he says, she's, Paul says from a very young age, he might have learned how to read by reading the scriptures. 
But whatever happened, he had a wisdom which led to salvation. See, he knew something about God that led him to God. And that's what true wisdom will do. The book of James talks about earthly wisdom and it talks about heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom will lead you to God. Earthly wisdom will exalt yourself and make you the God. So ultimately, we want his wisdom, right? And his wisdom cleans our wisdom up. It's good. And so he says this. He says, all right, you've learned these things. And he says, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It wasn't his knowledge that got him saved. It wasn't his wisdom that got him saved. It wasn't the stuff he learned that got him saved. The stuff he learned led him to a faith in Christ Jesus. And that's that's where the salvation came from. He says, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. It says in the original language, all scripture is God-breathed. Isn't that a cool thought? God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. Now, now you understand when he's writing this, here's the funny thing. When he's writing this, this letter is not really considered by Timothy to be scripture itself, right? It's just a letter, but it would later become known as scripture. So when he's talking about scripture, he's not just talking about the Old Testament because in 1 Timothy, he refers to the Gospels, the book of, he quotes from the book of Luke and calls that the scripture. Later on, Peter writes a letter and calls the letters of Paul scripture. So already they were being embraced by the church. There's letters and then there's scripture. And the difference is a letter is somebody's opinion, or somebody's revelation, but they had these, somehow there was something different about these histories in the Gospels, the book of Acts, and the letters of the apostles. Somehow, God protected these things so that they recognized this isn't just a letter, this is the word of God. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. Wow. You know what's challenging about that? The word all. Because you can flip open your Bible to some places that might challenge you to say, I don't know what I can get out of that. But it's God-breathed. And it says, here's the second thing. First, first thing you got to know is that all Scripture came from God. The second thing you need to know is this. is inspired by God and profitable. Profitable means it will do you good. Profitable means it will, it's what you need in your life. Profitable means it's, it's the thing that's going to uh, build you up. It's the thing that's going to prove you. It's the thing that's going to keep you. It's the thing that's going to give you life. Profitable means it's good for you. Like I said, it may, it may be challenging to think that every, every verse in the Bible has got a purpose. Now, when you read that, you've got to embrace the fact that God wrote this. Now, I know that a man was used by God to put it on a paper. I know that they, you know, as they wrote it there, uh, it might have seemed to everybody else like it was just a letter from one of their friends or a letter from an apostle. But when they wrote it down and when they prophesied, God spoke through them and God guarded it in such a way that those words that they said would forever be living and active. That is so cool. That is so cool. Do you th- they, I'm sure they didn't know. I'm sure they had a sense when they're writing these things. Something's different about this letter. I mean, you know, when you're just, you're flowing in something and you're going, I don't know where this is coming from, but th- there's something to this. I'm sure as they were writing it, he was, they were saying, man, I'm learning stuff as I'm writing. God used it. God guarded it. Even, I mean, down to the, the very words that are used to communicate the thought, God gave them these words. And so it's such a powerful thing. We say, okay, well, what about, I mean, so, so if you're saying all scripture, I mean, that's, all, that's the whole thing. That's the whole book. So, I mean, does that mean I need to go back to the Old Testament and stop eating lobster and stop wearing clothes with mixed fibers? I mean, what in the, what in the world am I supposed to do? Well, we know by the scripture that they were Old Testament civic law and ceremonial law that God wrote down that, that in the New Testament, you don't, you don't have to go by that anymore. Jesus spoke to Peter and said, you can eat this stuff that you weren't allowed to eat before. You can eat it now. 
He told them, and, and, and you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote by the Holy Spirit. He said, you know, some, he said, when some people eat special foods. He says, you can eat whatever you want as long as you eat it as, as under the Lord. It's all things are sanctified by the word and prayer. He says, some people take one day and call it a holy day. If you call every day the holy day, that's fine too. Let's just make sure we don't cause each other to stumble. So there's some Old Testament laws that don't apply to you anymore, and yet they're profitable for you to read them and discover something about God. You can read that, and you can read it as a whole, and you begin to learn about God's heart for Israel. In fact, when you look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you begin to see a grand storyline of God's love for humanity and God's redemption plan from the moment you see from the beginning his perfect plan for humanity. Then you see how humanity messed up that perfect plan. And from the moment they sinned, God promised that he'd make it right. And all through the Old Testament, you see him preparing the stage for the redemption to come to humanity. And so even when you read in those harsh Old Testament stories and you go, I don't know what I'm going to get from this, you begin to see that God was protecting a people. He was protecting a people, a remnant that the seed could come through, that Jesus would one day come through and save all of humanity. Amen. What a powerful thing. So as you read this, there's not, a, there's not a section, there's not a book in here that won't profit you. And you need to read it in the right way. We need to, the Bible says very clearly that it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us, right? So you don't figure it out with your brain. You let God teach you as you read. You let the Holy Spirit speak through his word. But as he does, it becomes alive and it changes things. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for what? For teaching? Let's stop there for a moment. That's a word that we often translate as, as doctrine. That's, that's your foundation. The scripture is profitable for building a foundation for you, for giving you the knowledge of who God is and what you believe. That all comes from the word of God. That doesn't come from something you saw on TV. It doesn't come from a book you read. It doesn't come from a feeling you had someday in the street. It comes from the Word of God. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so when you read this, when you, when you let it sink in, it's profitable for teaching the church because you realize that, that Paul here is writing to Timothy, who Timothy is, is a preacher. He's a pastor. And so when, when the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he's encouraging him that, that all of this is profitable for teaching. It's profitable to, to, to tell you what you should believe and what you can believe. And here's what it says. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And the reason I read reproof and correction together is that they're two sides of the same coin. Reproof is not everybody's favorite word. He may say, I don't even know what it is, so it doesn't bother me. Reproof is literally, and if you, if you look up the original language, you look at the original word, what reproof literally means is to show something that's wrong. You know, nobody, nobody really loves that. Well, you, maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you are just, you know, you're looking for the drill sergeant in your life and you want somebody to tell you what you're doing wrong. I understand that. The Bible says that a wise man loves correction. A wise man loves it. The wise man treasures rebuke and reproof. It says it's profitable to show you some things that are wrong, to show you what's not right. And then he says, and for correction. But that's why that's so important that those two are back to back. Because if I just told you what was wrong with your life and then walked away, how much good have I done you? I mean, you might, you know, if you're, you might say, well, he told me what was wrong. I'm going to go and seek out and find out how to fix it. But, all, but you know, I mean, really, I might have just made you feel bad. I might have just shamed you. And God's not here just to make you feel low. Now, if you're stuck up, you might need to be brought down a couple pegs. But he says that all scripture is good for reproof and for correction. Do you know what correction means? To make it straight again. To make it right again. When you correct something that's crooked, you're making it straight again. When you correct something that's off, you're putting it on, back on. If you're, if you're, you know, texting while driving, and you shouldn't be, but if you are, and you're driving down the highway, and you look at your phone, and you all of a sudden hit the rumble strips, the rumble strips are the reproof. I don't know. 
How many, how many here have had their life saved by the rumble strips? Right. I got two hands up. Two hands up for JB. I, uh, I've had some moments in life where I was distracted and some others where I was very sleepy. And I don't do that anymore. I've learned it's worth it to pull over and, man, I, I, I hate the taste of Red Bull, but I'll drink it if I have to. <laughs> Just to keep, keep awake. Better yet, don't, don't drive when you're falling asleep. But those rumble strips, man, there's been more than one time where those rumble strips woke me up to the fact that I was in the wrong place. Thank God for the rumble strips, right? Well, the word of God, when, it, when it's able to bring reproof into your life, that's the rumble strip that says you're off. And I'm telling you this so you don't drive off a cliff. This is good. But what happens when you hit the rumble strips? Do you say, well, this is a nice little massage. Let's just stay here. You, you correct it. What was wrong, you use that steering wheel to correct. So the word of God brings reproof to your life, but it's also able to make it right again. Here's the good news. God's not just telling you what's wrong and hoping that you'll feel bad about it. He tells you what's wrong so you can make it right, so he can make it right. So the word of God, I love it. He says it's profitable for reproof, but it's also profitable to straighten it back up. And so many people... Unfortunately, there are many people who get the reproof part and get so discouraged that they don't stick around for the correction. And so you just walk away thinking, I'm a bad person. I'm just a mess up. I, just, I don't know why God would love me. Well, God does love you. Start from that. That's the foundation. You're not working up to love. You're working from a place that you're beloved. Yes. You're not working to sonship. You are a child of God, and from that place, you live in a different way. So that reproof says you're going off the road, but the correction says, let me make that right. And so, so many people hear reproof, and then they say, well, how do I fix it? But here's the good news for you. The Word of God, the Scripture, is profitable for fixing it. In other words, God will do the fixing if you let Him you let that word be part of your life, it's able to correct what's wrong in your life. Isn't that good news? Yes. Oh, I mean, how many times in school, you know, you're doing your math homework and, and uh, you know, you just can't seem to get the right answer. You, you know, I, I don't know if this is this way that was when all you grew up. We all grew up at different times. But when I was in school, they actually had the math textbook that, and it had the answers in the back, which would seem like, you know, let's just go get the answers in the back. But the problem was you had to show your work. So the answers didn't really help you if you didn't get the concept because you had to write out how you got to the answer. But there'd be times where you're working through the problem, you'd flip to the back, and you're still not getting that answer. It's telling you you're wrong. But then you don't have anybody around you to tell you what you're doing right, wrong or right, to, to, to fix it. And so you, you hated to be the one. I, I never wanted to be the one that went back to school and said, I didn't finish my homework can I stay after and you can show me how to do this? So you're always, I'd frantically look, you know, and, and, you know, I had good parents who would help me with my homework. But sometimes, you know, if you haven't done a certain type of math for 30 years, you don't remember how to do it. And sometimes the math has changed. I know my dad. See, my dad was a very, very brilliant man. But he was old school in some things. And so I'd say, help me with this math problem. Well, of course, we're not just going to learn about math. I'm going to sit there for two hours while he sets up the history of math. <laughs> He's going to tell me who Pythagoras is. He's going to tell me all of this. And, and, and I'm, I, I, at the back of my head, I'm thinking, Dad, you even know the answer. Are you just stalling? Just killing time? Well, we'd work around to it. So it's one thing to know you, you got the wrong answer, but... You know what we need? We need somebody to make it right. We need something to fix it. When you're messed up and you're crooked and you're broken, your life's, a, life's off, thank God there's a, there's a warning indicator on your dashboard that says something's wrong, and it'll save your life. We've all been annoyed on that airplane when they have to stop and go back to the gate because some, some indicator light's going off, and we're annoyed and we're just like, well, take off. But you, in the end, you're glad that they do things like that because it's, it's, it might save your life, very likely. 
because, you know, that's, that's something we need. And so in the same way, the scripture, when it shows you something wrong, don't walk away like Charlie Brown, head down, just saying, I never do anything right. Instead, put your head up and say, okay, you showed me what's wrong. Now show me how to fix it. And the word is able to do that. God's able to do that. The Holy Spirit will work through the word and not only show you the mistakes, but show you how to correct it. Not just show you how to correct it, because that makes it sound like, you know, he's just showing you and, then you and then you have to figure out how to do it. He's not just showing you, it's working through you to correct it, which is beautiful. And here's, here's what it goes on to say. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Training. This is a word here that's, that's often used in, in raising a child and training them up. It says that the word of God is able to train you, to, to, to make you who you're supposed to be. Listen to this. For training in righteousness so that the man of God, now when it says man there, it's just the word anthropos, which just means human. So it's not saying male. It's just a human. So if you're a woman, read that as so the woman of God, right? Don't think that God's leaving you out of that verse. You're in there. So you say, so a man or woman of God, so that the man or woman of God, listen to this, so the man or woman of God may be adequate. Now, I'm sorry, I love the New American Standard, as, as Gary Mason on Sunday over and over again kind of pointed out to you. <laughs> but I, I'm a little embarrassed by the word it picked there. <laughs> adequate is not the most exciting word in the English language. None of us really want to be called adequate. How do I do? Adequate. How do I look? Adequate. It's a good way not to win brownie points with your wife. That outfit is adequate, honey. What? I didn't say anything was wrong. Adequate. That's not a good word to use. Well, when, when you look at the, the word that's used in the Greek, it means to be made complete, fully equipped, fully qualified. Now, that somehow has a little bit more panache to it. To be fully qualified. You ever felt like you're, very, you're just heavily underqualified for what God's called you to do? You ever feel like you're underqualified for who you need to be? I have. I don't know anybody that's really been called by God, and we've all been called by God. I don't know anybody that's recognized that call and said, oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. No, we all go, oh, man, I can't do that. And the Lord lovingly responds and goes, yeah, you can't do that. But I can, and I want to use you. It says here, the scripture is able to train you so that you'll be fully qualified. There's a point at the beginning of where God calls you that you go, I'm not qualified. But only a few seconds after you think that, you need to recognize, if he called me, he qualifies me. If he puts me, if he gives me the job, he'll train me for the job. I mean, Spiro and Tina at the restaurant, they don't just, you know, they don't just take people's resumes and say, you know how to cook? Yeah, I, basically, I, I, I cook a mean craft dinner, you know, I just, I just do it. And they just go, well, let's see what you got. And they don't throw them in the kitchen and say, well, figure out how to make Figure out how to make spanakopita. Figure out how to make fragilaki. Just figure it out. Use your, use your best sense. They train them. If they give them the job, they train them to do the job. You walk them through it. You show it. If they do it wrong, you say, you did it wrong. Let me show you how to do it right. And you do it over and over again until they do it right. So that, so, that, so that what I order on Monday, if I order the same thing on Friday, I get the same thing. So this person may not be qualified when they're hired, but they need to be qualified and they're trained to be qualified. And so when you're called, God didn't call you because you were just so special and so gifted that he had to have you on his roster. And I mean, you got drafted right out of high school, man. I mean, just, I mean, when God called you, we all were woefully underqualified. But as Paul said, he goes, I'm not fit to be an apostle. I don't measure up. I didn't meet the minimum requirements. I, I mean, by, by my own standards, I shouldn't be this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That means like I couldn't do it, but what I couldn't do, he did. What I wasn't, he was. And so he has made me who I am.
So the, but, you know, we can say that, and then you sit back and go, okay, God qualifies me. So mission accomplished, I'm qualified. But that's not what the scripture says. It, sa- it says here that this scripture is profitable for training in righteousness so that you will be fully equipped, so that you will be complete. So you don't just sit back on the couch and go, okay, God, you called me, you qualify me. Go ahead. I'm going to be watching a show. While I'm watching a show, do your thing. I give you full access. That's not how he does it. It says, as you're taught, as you're corrected, as you're reproved, as you're trained, as you let the word of God train you in life, you become fully equipped. Man, fully equipped. Fully equipped for that instance when you come up against things you never thought you'd come up against. As you know, everybody in the room, if I read Mark 16, and if I believe it, if I believe what Jesus said, which I should, and I do, if I believe what Jesus said, he says every believer will do these things. He doesn't say just the special believers. He doesn't say the believers before 100 A.D. He said these signs will follow them that believe. And you, you say, well, is he talking about the ones that have already believed at this point? But if you read it, he says, those that believe your word, you're going to go out and preach. And he says, the ones that believe you, these signs will follow them. The ones that, that believe your word, these signs will follow them. And then he goes on, he says all these things. Will you say, I'm not qualified to go pray for the sick. I'm not qualified to, to come face to face with evil spirits. What in the world am I going to do? But the scripture says that you'll be fully qualified, fully equipped for every situation. Here's what he says. Let's read the, the whole verse. So that the man or woman of God may be adequate or fully equipped, or fully qualified, sorry, equipped for every good work. Now, good work. When we say that in today's culture, in today's society, good work kind of means charity work, right? When we think good work, we think, you know, ringing the Salvation Army bell at Christmas. But there's more to it. What did Jesus say? I mean, what did, when, when Peter was preaching his message, what did he say? He said, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So a good work in God's book, yes, I mean, that ringing that bell for the Salvation Army, that is good work. But it doesn't stop at just nice things that you're doing. According to the scripture, good work includes doing the work of Jesus. It includes some pretty powerful things. And it says you'll be equipped for everything God calls you to. You'll be qualified. You'll be equipped if you let the scripture train you. Now, if you're picking this up, you pick this book up because you made a commitment to yourself or to your spouse or to your pastor or whatever that you were going to read through the Bible in a year. And so you just get through it. You just slug through it. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm in Leviticus. I'm in Lamentations. This is the most depressing thing I've ever read. I'm in Song of Solomon. I don't feel like I'm old enough to read this. You're reading it through. I I love the read through the Bible in a year. I, I like that because you know what that does? It causes you to read the whole Bible instead of just your favorite verses. So that's a good thing. Here's, here's, the, here's the thing you got to watch out for, though, that you're just not putting in time to put in time. Maybe if you don't get through the whole section that you thought you'd get through, why don't, you, why don't you, if you need to stop and meditate on something for a while, if you need to go back and read it 10 times, do it. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. If it connects you to another verse in the Scripture, go there, see what God's saying. Take your time. Read it, make it, let it come alive. Because if you're just reading it, you're glossing over. Have you ever read like that? Anybody here read like that where you, you're reading and then, you know, uh, 15 minutes later, you've let your mind water and you don't remember what you read? That's really not letting the scripture do these things in you. This is the word of God. It's not a book. It's not just a book, I should say. This isn't war and peace. This isn't Shakespeare. This isn't Tom Clancy. This isn't even your favorite Christian author. 
This is the word of God. Now, if God stood in your room and started talking to you, you wouldn't be, <laughs> daydream. <laughs> He's been talking for 15 minutes. I, I wonder. He's been talking for a while, but when he gets done, I wonder if he's going to stop talking in time for me to catch that, the new episode of The Voice. I, I want to see who wins that. Uh oh, the news comes on at 11. Oh, what about my friend? We're going to go over to my friend's house. And we're going to, huh? you know, if God was in your room talking, he'd have your full attention. You wouldn't be looking at anything else. You wouldn't be like looking around going, I need to paint that wall. You'd be looking at him. And you'd be in awe, and everything he said, you'd be hanging on to. And if you were smart, you'd be running a tape recorder so you could listen to it over and over again. Tape recorder, what, what decade are we in? <laughs> You're running a tape recorder. Whatever you kids are using nowadays. <laughs> With your gadgets and your gizmos. You'd be, you'd be recording that conversation. Because I don't know about you, but when the Lord speaks through somebody else to me, I hear like the first two sentences, and I'm so stuck on that, that the rest of what they say sometimes is very difficult for me to hear. And so it's helpful if I write it down or somebody wrote it down for me or I listen to it again. But if God were in your room and he was speaking, he'd have your full attention. Everything he said, you wouldn't, there wouldn't be any throwaway lines there. There wouldn't be sections that you go, well, that part wasn't important. You'd be listening. That's what your Bible time should be like. As you let it train you, as you let it build you up, as you let it make things come alive in you. If it's boring to you, you're reading it wrong. <laughs> if it's boring to you, first of all, I want to make sure you understand what you're reading. You know, I mean, if, if you just think King James is the greatest thing that God ever gave to man... And you're just, you think no other Bible will live up to the King James Version. Well, then practice your old English. <laughs> because you need to understand what you're reading. Now, I think it helps. This is a practical point here. I think it's nice to have modern, easy-to-read translations. I think you need to have at least one formal translation in your bookshelf. A formal translation is a word-for-word -word translation. It doesn't have to be old English like the King James. The Bible we're reading from tonight is a word-for-word -word translation. There's ones that are even easier than that. English Standard Version, Holman Christian Standard. Versions like that are formal. And what they do is they're saying, let's just translate what, what he says. Let's just translate it in the best English we can, what he says. The super modern, easy-to-read translations, they're called dynamic. They're thought-for-thought -thought translations. What they're, trying to, what they're attempting to do is say, if I were to say this today, let me take the thought and let's say it how we would say it today. That can be helpful. Sometimes in your devotions, you're reading something like that. You go, whoa, I never thought of it that way. And it's almost like somebody's talking to you. It's kind of cool, right? But you need to at least have a Bible that you can go back to, especially if it's, a, it's, especially if it's like a hinge point. If it's, it's a really important thing you're reading, you need to read what it actually says. Because somewhere along the line, a translator, if it's a thought-for-thought -thought translation, somewhere along the line, a translator had to say, what's he saying? And I could tell you, there are scriptures in the Bible where we will still debate over what they're saying. And so what you've just had is you had a translator make up your mind for you, and you didn't even know it. So that's the, that's, that's the thing you've got to watch out for. So if you have a real easy modern translation, super, get it out, put it side by side with another one, or, or read a little bit, and then go back and read it word for word so that you can kind of check it out and let the Holy Spirit speak through it, and yeah, you'll have a great time. But I, I want your main Bible to be a Bible you can trust and not just, you know, kind of a, the opinion of a translator. Either way, I know I got on a tangent there, if you don't understand it, here are two things I've learned. The first thing is, you need a Bible in the language you speak, okay? So if you're, I mean, if I'm going to the Philippines and we're bringing a Bible to them, I don't bring them a, an English Bible to somebody that speaks a little bit of English. Now, most people in the Philippines speak very, very good English, but there's some villages you go to, and we've been to in Mindanao, where most of them don't speak English. And so I'm not going to give them an English Bible and say, here, learn to read it. I'm going to give them a Bible in their language. Because you know what? The Bible wasn't written in English. 
We translated it for us. Don't you think God can speak in their language? So he does. So get a, get a book that's written in your language, and if you don't speak Old English, then maybe don't get the Bible that speaks in Old English. But then here's the other thing. While I believe the language should be something you understand, here's a fact that, that some people just don't take the time to realize. There are things in this Bible that, that you can't understand without the Holy Spirit. You could be an, you could be an English major. You could, be a, you could have a doctorate of theology. You could have a doctorate of language, whatever. But unless you have God working through it, you'll never get it. Jesus said to his disciples, there are some things I want to say to you, but I can't say them to you because you can't hear them now. You won't understand them. But he says, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And when I send the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things. So what he's saying is there are things that you can't get until you're born again and have the Spirit in you. Without that, there's just some things you'll never get. And so sometimes it's it's language that you get. You know what each of those words means, but I don't know what this sentence means. And it's not because the English is hard. It's because the concept is hard. And when that happens, do you know what you need to do? You don't say, well, let me just see what it says in this. You just, you go and you set it down. And you say, Lord, I need you to help me here because there's something I don't understand. Would you teach me? You know what? You have people in your life that can help explain things to you. There, you know, you can, you've got people that can, that can help, to, you know, explain these verses to you. But, but there are just certain things without being spiritual, you can't understand spiritual things. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians that a spiritual man appraises all things, which means judges and examines all things. And, and, and God gives you understanding. And that's what he's going to do. So Paul writes this to Timothy and he says, from the time you were a little boy, you were taught with these sacred writings. And he says, Timothy, those things that you were taught, he doesn't, actually he doesn't say he was taught, he said you learned them. There's a bit of a difference. You could be taught something and not really learn it. Learning it means you received it, you, you really, you got it. He said you learned these things from a young age. These things gave you wisdom. That wisdom led you to, to salvation through faith in Jesus. Then he says, all scripture is God-breathed, and every bit of it is profitable. Thank God. Every bit of it is profitable for your life, profitable for teaching, profitable for reproof to show you where you're off, profitable for the correction to get you back on, profitable for training and righteousness so that you'll be fully qualified and you'll be fully equipped. Don't you like to feel equipped? I mean, if a soldier goes off to battle, boy, he's not going to feel good if he gets in the battle and realizes he, he doesn't have any weapons, he doesn't have any armor. Some of you guys, men, women, working jobs that you need equipment for, Chance, how would you like doing the work you do just by hand? No tools, just pouring concrete, smoothing it over with your hands. That'd be difficult. Some of the jobs would be straight impossible. You're a tow truck driver. I don't care how strong you are. Without the equipment, you can't do the work. And so he says, this word is able to equip you, that you'll be fully equipped. I love that. It means that God's not going to send you out there without giving you every tool you need to get it done. Every single tool you need to accomplish his will, he gives you. And this word is such a huge part of that because it's equipping you, it's training you. You got to let yourself be trained. We like the movies because they make training fast and easy. You ever see the Rocky movie and, you know, he's just a poor, pathetic slob and then, you know, we get a quick montage of him hitting meat and running upstairs and all of a sudden he's, he's qualified. That's easy. Put some music on. Give me three minutes and I'll be trained. But in reality, training takes time. And if you'll give the Lord your time, give him your life. Be humble enough to realize that you need training. Let the word of God train you. This is a powerful thought, but sometimes it's a challenging thought. But everything that you need, every bit of equipment you need, God already saw it. He already knew it before he called you. And if you'll dig into the word of God and let the Holy Spirit teach you, he will equip you. He'll train you. You'll be reading something it seems so irrelevant to what you're doing in life. 
And all of a sudden, God begins to wake some things up in you. And you go, there's my answer. You go to the next one. Next week, you're dealing with something else. And you look in the word of God, there's my answer. And because it's a living book, because it's a living word. You see, if I were to go back and read, you know, read a book that was written a thousand years ago on how to farm, there'd be some old techniques. There'd be some things that were out of date that really, you know, we've moved past since then. But when I read this, it's written by a God who's outside of time. It's alive and active. It's not a 2,000-year-old book. That might have been when the words were penned. But the word of God is alive. So when he speaks through his word, it's not God speaking to you from 2,000 years ago. It's God speaking to you today. In 2013, he says this. Here's something. When Paul wrote this down, did you know God had already been to 2013? God saw 2013. He saw 2014. He saw all these things. He's already there. He knew when he wrote it that it was just going to be just as real today as it was then. Let it train you. In the next chapter, the very next verse, I'll just close with this thought. He goes on in the next sentence and says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You see, myths sound a lot like Scripture, but aren't. Myths sound like good stuff, good teaching, but it's not. And he says, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. But he starts that by saying, preach the word. Preach it when it's popular, preach it when it's unpopular. Because here's the deal. When people start turning aside and start listening to the things that make, that, you know, they'll start tuning in to the people that tell them what they want to hear. This is our compass. You go out in the world, guys, and, and the compass is pointing in all different directions. North is not north anymore. Everybody brings out their compass, and their compass is pointing to north in this direction. Another person's compass is pointing to north in this direction. Another person's compass doesn't even have north on it. And they say, what's north? Is there really a north? Who told you there was a north? We get washed around and, and kind of shaken up by winds and waves of doctrine and teaching and, and society and, and all these things. And we get confused. We don't even know where up is up and down is down. And we get confused about what's real and what's true. Boy, is it a great thing to know that there's a constant in this life. Because he said the world will pass away. Mountains will fall into the sea. All these things will, will cease. There'll be a day when the world itself rolls up like a scroll. But the word of God endures forever. So there is a constant in our lives. You look at, you look at society and what was right, and wrong, right or wrong 50 years ago is not right or wrong today. And it won't be 50 years from now. The only constant is God. He is a constant. We got to be humble in how we read that. We got to hum be humble and realize that sometimes we take our version of right or wrong and we read the scripture based on our version of right or wrong. And then we say the scripture says it when really we've made the scripture say it. We need to, instead of going to the scripture to find backup for our argument, you need to go to the scripture and say, what do I believe? Instead of saying, this is what I believe. Let me back it up. I know it's in there somewhere. Blip, 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 blip. Oh, I'm going to beat them so bad in that argument, that church across town. <laughs> I'm sure there's like three scriptures. Boom, boom, boom. I got my ammo. Instead of doing that, why don't you let the scripture tell you what you believe? Don't say, this is what I believe. Let me back it up. Say, I'm an empty, I'm an open book. What do I believe? Teach me and let the Holy Spirit teach you. 
It's pretty cool to know that we all can be fully equipped. Man, woman of God, we all can be fully equipped for every good work. Every good work. Which means there will not be a thing you encounter that God puts in your path that you're not ready and willing and equipped to do. That's pretty cool. That's powerful. That's life. Let's stand up together. Father, we thank you for your word. It is life to us. It is our, it is our air. It's our water. God, your word has kept us. Your word has, has, has held us up. Your word has breathed life in us. Your word has carried us. So, Lord, right now, I thank you for your word. God, I acknowledge that my brain's not big enough to fully get it on my own. That we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us through your word. We need you to illuminate it and make it alive. God, I confess that there are times I've, I've arrogantly said, well, I, I know, I know what this means and I know what it says when I really hadn't asked you. Forgive us for those times that we've been arrogant with your word. Let us humbly stand before you and say, teach us, God. We're an open book. We're a blank slate. Imprint on us your plan, your will, your, your heart. God, we want to go out in the world with a, a compass that works. We want to be trained. We want to be, God, I, I, I know this may not be my first instinct, but I want to be reproved. I want you to show me when I'm off. And I want you to correct us when we, so we can get back on the right path, so we can go right where you want us to go. We want to be trained. Man, to think we'd be trained by God himself. To think that our mentor, our trainer, is your voice and your Holy Spirit. That's powerful, Lord. We're thankful for it. We love you so much, and we're thankful that you've not left us as orphans, but you've given us a light. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Go home and read your Bible. Ha, 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 ha.